Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Uh, if you are not a regular listener to the Pat Mayo Experience, first of all, you'll notice if you're watching the video version that there is no video for the Corona Cast. We're going to be talking about fantasy football for like the first, I'm going to say like 44 minutes, uh, different strategies, how COVID might affect your fantasy football team, maybe some ways around that, some strategies, some players that we have to have this year, some busts. So Davis and I go through that entire thing. Uh, and then at like the 45 minute mark, we start the Corona Cast, which we did every week during the pandemic before uh, the birth of my second son. And then I just didn't have the extra time to spend chatting about nonsense the entire time. So it's the best of both worlds for the show, unless you like, you really hate Davis or you really hate me or you really hate football or you really hate random chatter. Either way, I'd use the time codes. I'll have the football stuff marked. Uh, that happens right off the top. And then I'll let you know when the actual Corona cast ends up starting. This is a crossover show between me and Davis and his take cast. Highly recommend that you subscribe to both uh, rate and review both podcasts as well. Uh, it's going to be audio only today, but hey, uh, if you want to vote in the best movie bracket, link is in the description. You want to check out the fantasy football rankings and the entire Pat Mayo Experience draft kit so far, those links are in the description. So there's a lot to go around. Uh, smash the like button for the show and rate and review. All right, let's get to it. Davis Maddock is on the line, obviously. Uh, no video for this one, as I mentioned to people in the... And it's a crossover with the take cast. But here's the one main fantasy football issue I wanted to talk to you about. And you're like... You generally, when I listen to your stuff, you're talking about like best ball or you're talking about high stakes drafts. I'm talking about like normal people drafts, like people listening to this that they might want to do or actually actively participate right. in. But right. yeah. if, if you have the number one pick and the tight ends fall, you could potentially construct a team of Christian McCaffrey, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. I talked to Jake about this on my running back show. We just kind of veered off topic onto this. But I think it's a smart idea. He did not seem too impressed by it. But I just think you not only corner the market on tight end, it's not like these guys are bad flex players. Like, I don't care if I had to play George Kittle as my flex. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I, I think that if... What I would actually do, I, I think that if I was picking first, I got Christian McCaffrey and then Travis Kelsey was still sitting there for me. Uh, I, I actually think I would probably take Pat Mahomes with that, with at that turn pick at the two, three, because uh, you, you already have that running back position, just stone cold locked down. You're going to have the best tight end in fantasy football. Uh, why not? Why not also get the best quarterback in fantasy football like i i know i know that we you know everyone agrees you know universally like yeah like uh you know late round late round quarterback and everything but like the, the kind of the math of that position has been changing the last couple of years as we've seen these guys who can throw for 4500 yards and 30 touchdowns also add like 60 fantasy points rushing but is mahomes the best case for that like what what differentiates besides the passing upside that you're talking about from like Kyler Murray's more of a gamble, but he is going like two rounds later. Uh, well, the, I mean, the obvious thing with Mahomes is you just, you have absolutely zero floor concerns. Like Mahomes is, is just not going to be a bad fantasy quarterback in any scenario other than one where he gets injured. And as he showed in the playoffs last year, he has more rushing upside than like they kind of unleashed. Like when, when, games are on the line when they're playing in competitive games they're more likely to let him 
run. And, you know, if he adds, so if kind of like, do you remember when Aaron Rodgers used to do this? I know it's so far in our memories from when Aaron Rodgers was really good, but when Rodgers used to be the best quarterback in fantasy football, he would throw for 4,500 yards, 40 touchdowns, and he would also run for five touchdowns. And if you add that to Mahomes, like he's out earning a third round ADP, even at quarterback, even in years where Kyler and Dak and Lamar are also all great. Well, that was sort of the sneaky thing behind Jameis last year was he would just pick up these like, I don't know, like 21 yards per game on the ground, sometimes like 39. Like, you know, you rush for 39 yards and you're a quarterback. That's the equivalent of one touchdown pass that if you don't draft a – like if you go late round QB this year, you get your Matt Staffords or whoever, Matt Ryan. Right. And those guys aren't going to run, but you also haven't paid a premium for them. So there is an offset based on where you can make up the rest of your roster. But – like, are you in on Daniel Jones as being kind of the late round version of the guy that you're talking about? Yeah, Daniel Jones is the late round quarterback this year because if you know if you look at quarterback ADP right now, the guys who are going late, uh, all of their upside is related to you know staying healthy and throwing for 40 touchdowns. But Daniel Jones could do those things and run for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Like, you know, if you're, if you're comparing his upside to someone like Matt Ryan, uh, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, like give me, give me Daniel Jones uh, every single time, basically. The one problem I would have with Mahomes in the situation that you spelled out is the chiefs are likely going to be good. Uh, and when Mahomes yeah. was running the most was in the playoffs when, you know, it's now must win situation. I, I can just right. see Mahomes taking the sensible route and not putting himself at risk in games where they can win other ways. Well, especially because he got injured on a quarterback sneak last year. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that that is a super realistic thing where it's just where where Mahomes is like you know what like let's stay healthy let's win another Super Bowl you know I don't need to be I do not need to be running for uh you know 30 yards game right now there's just no reason for it whereas someone like Lamar has to run that's a part of their offense and a part of his game so right like is do you have Kyler at three or do you have Dak at three or Russell Wilson uh I have I have Dak at three because even if Arizona, you know, kind of completes the mission of what Cliff Kingsbury wanted to do, where they're running 75 plays a game, they're throwing 50 passes a game, whatever. Basically, Dak can accumulate the same numbers while, uh, you know, being more efficient. And he's like a Dak is like a proven runner in the NFL where like Kyler were extrapolating a lot. He didn't run early on in the season. And then later on, like again, later in the season, they tailed the running down. Whereas like, we Dak is just going to run for 400 yards. We're like, it's just going to happen. Like he's such, and especially around the goal line, he is such a good runner around the goal line. And um, I, uh, I'm, I'm like Dallas led the NFL in yards per play last year. And I actually think probably the most likely scenario is that they end up being better this year with a different head coach. I, I can see that. But I would just say like, if you're a betting person that you would take them to not lead the NFL in yards per play. Like that just seems sure. sensible. Yeah, completely. Yeah, no, 100% true. So I, I actually, this brings me to DeAndre Hopkins, who I, I have down in my rankings. I have him at like number 24 overall. Because I feel like you need to have one of two stances on Hopkins in Arizona. It's either that it's just going to work out. And if it does work out based on the Kingsbury system, he's the primary option. He doesn't lose targets that he saw in Houston. Like he should probably be the number one receiver 
if you think that way. But if you don't think it's going to go that way, and he's going to lose like 20% of the targets that he would normally get in a more efficient offense, he could keep up to where he was. But I can just see him being a real-life good player, but a fantasy underachiever, as weirdly as that sounds. So I don't agree with you that it is as much of a duality, but I totally see what you're saying, where either you're like, DeAndre Hopkins is going to have a 28% target share in an offense that leads the NFL in total plays run, and that should net him you know, 195 targets or something insane like that. Or they're going to do what most air raid offenses do, which is like they they target a different guy the most every single week. They don't have a guy who is, you know, sitting up there with a 28% target share. He sees 140 targets and is productive on those targets, but overall is, you know, kind of lacking that same ceiling as Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, DJ Moore, those guys. I, I have DeAndre Hopkins as my fourth wide receiver. I have him as a back end of the first round, top end of the second round selection. I, I will say, though, very rarely am I taking him there because I have Travis Kelsey higher in my rankings than I do DeAndre Hopkins. So I think that in terms of like, you know, again, like 12 team leagues that you're playing with your buddies, like I like if you're drafting using my stuff, you're probably not going to get Hopkins very often, even though I feel like I have him ranked highly. Yeah, I have like I said, I have him number 24, which is probably supremely low. That's behind Godwin. That's behind Galladay, Kittle and Kelsey, Julio. And even Robert Woods, who I think is potentially the steal of the draft right now, he's still not going as highly as he should. Like, no, I, he, I, I have he him, really could be. You're right. I have him ranked at number 23, but obviously you don't need to take him at the back end of the second round if you want Robert Woods. You, you just don't. Like, I, I, it's weird trying to construct rankings. I don't know how, like, you go about doing it because obviously each scoring system is different. Each league is different. It's hard to have, like, a universal rankings. But understanding ADP along with rankings. I try to hammer this home every year, but people just don't get the concept. Maybe they don't want to do the work and it can be somewhat complicated. If you search on internet rankings, fantasy football, and you've run into Pat Mayo's like mine are way different just because my approach to rankings is way different than everyone else. Like some people will run their projections and those are their rankings, which I mean, makes a lot of sense. I try to factor in a bit of my lean into it. Like, oh, Robert Woods only scored three touchdowns last year, yet he never came off the field in an offense that should be at least run more plays, passing plays this year, because I don't think their defense is going to be as good. So natural regression upwards would say, you know, maybe he ends up with eight touchdowns or something like that. See, that's why I like Robert Woods. I have him ranked at number 23 because I think he's going to be a good player. But if his ADP is like end of the third round, taking him at pick number 23 would probably be a mistake. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I do my rankings in a very similar way where I'm like, you know, this is how I value guys. This is not necessarily how I would draft them. Right. Like, and there will be times where just due to, you know, structural reasons, like I will take, you know, I, I would take, uh, you know, someone that I don't love, you know, Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, I would, I would maybe take them ahead of where I have them ranked because, you know, you need a, you need a running back, right. And you can kind of see the way that the, that the room is going to play out. So, yeah, I mean, people, and they just have like, just in general, people have a very hard time contextualizing that. I always lean with, take the guy that you want. And like people get so caught up in position scarcity when it comes to things like, Oh, if you don't have a running back through four rounds, like, well, you have to go running back, running back. I think on paper that makes a lot of sense, but like, 
you're now wasting value by going running back, running back, and like the fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth. Those running backs probably aren't any good. Uh, I mean, yeah, like that's the whole thesis behind zero RB drafting is that uh, you really, in those rounds, you know, four through seven, you really should not be taking Raheem Mostert, Marlon Mack, Melvin Gordon, Devin Singletary. Like you should just not be taking these guys who are super fragile. And the only reason they're being drafted that high is because they are being perceived as scoring more points above replacement compared to, you know, like backup guys like, you know, Daryl Henderson, Latavius Murray and those guys. Yeah, well, I, I think you and I are in lockstep with, with Latavius Murray. I had uh, Radcliffe and Evans on the show for my rankings reveal. And like one of the points that I really wanted to hammer home is someone like Latavius Murray versus Alexander Madison. One of the reasons I ranked Murray higher, this is presuming that Delvin Cook plays. Obviously, this would change if he sits out and Alexander Madison is now the starter. But if you draft Madison at his like current value, you're drafting him with the expectation that you're going to play him. And he's not a guy that you want to play if Delvin Cook is playing. With Latavius Murray, you never make that bench mistake. It's, is Kamara playing? Yes. Okay, I'm not playing Latavius Murray. Is Kamara not playing? Oh, Latavius Murray is a top three running back. That's a huge thing that people overlook when they are drafting their teams, which is like, what guys are you going to know when to start and when will you know not to start them? And, you know, are guys just going to be bench cloggers? And I this, this argument exists. It's more for wide receivers. You know, someone like I, I've heard the argument that McCole Hardman is a guy you'll never be able to cut. You'll also never feel comfortable starting him because he's going to interplay. Yeah. It's going to, he's going to interplay a ton with Sammy Watkins. I don't, holistically agree with that opinion. No, Hardman is a guy I have ranked, you know, above, uh, you know, above the market for sure. But yeah, I mean, that's just something that people, uh, you know, like just in general, people neglect to take that into account when they're drafting their teams is they draft a bunch of guys who they're not going to feel comfortable cutting and, you know, guys who early on in the season, you're going to know kind of right away if they're going to have a role or if they can be cut uh, actually have extra value on draft day. Yeah, so one of the difficult things, that, who is the hardest player you think you rank this year? Hardest player to rank? I mean, it's got to be someone who actually matters, right? It might. It's probably, Mine was probably Cl- someone like... Go. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. That's who I yeah, was going to say. Yeah, I mean, so, so he's a great example where, like... Uh, if he, if he just stone cold beats Damien out by week three, he will earn top four value. If he and Damien split time for 16 games, then he's going to be like a fourth round pick. Right. I I think actually the guy I find most difficult to rank is Josh Jacobs because rank him down. Why? I really like him. I think he's a good player. He was a really good pass catcher at Alabama, but they, they absolutely refused to use him that way last year. And then they gave Jalen Richard a contract extension. They draft Lynn Bowden Jr. to kind of play that hybrid third down back, you know, that Tavon Austin-ish role. So it's like, it's like yes, you spent a first-round pick on a running back, but then you do all these other things to be like, well, we don't want to give him the ball that much. But in, in all these high-stakes drafts, I mean, Josh Jacobs goes in the back end of the first round. That is a bad pick. Uh, I mean, it is, it's a bad pick if he sees 30 targets for sure. But what if, I mean, if he sees, what sort of expectation does anyone have that he's all of a sudden, like I can look at Todd Gurley and I know that he has the arthritic knee, but if all things being equal and he's 80% of what Todd Gurley used to be, 
that in the Atlanta offense, he is going to monopolize the goal line carries. He's probably going to play over 80% of the snaps. And his target share from the Rams to the Falcons this year should double just based on the way that they use running backs who are on the field and dump the ball off to him. So instead of like 27 catches, he could be back up around 50, which makes him an incredible value. I would take him over Josh Jacobs, who if you could tell me that Josh Jacobs was going to get 55 targets this year, I would rank him way higher. But I, I just don't see any coach speak. I don't see any, you know, anything that the Raiders are doing at all to say that that's going to happen. I have to work under the assumption that this is what he, like if he was the third round pick, he'd be fine in the first round. Like it's the same thing with Nick Chubb. Like they have, unless an injury happens or a complete shift in philosophy with the team actually happens. I just don't see how they hit that upside. They have nowhere to go from the place that you pick them. At least with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, there's substantial downside to that pick. That's frustrating to deal with. But like you said, but if, but if, you if, see if, the upside so clearly. Yeah. If he is the starter from day one, there's a chance he's the number one player in fantasy. Now that's unlikely, but I actually can map but, out but that. But totally path in my possible. Head. Yeah, like if yeah. He, if he plays the Brian Westbrook role and he's playing eighty percent or fuck even seventy five percent of the snaps with the Chiefs, he has top one upside. I just don't see envision a scenario where Nick Chubb ends up that high or Josh Jacob ends up that high. They don't they don't catch the ball. Like if they don't catch the ball, they're not useless. But for the purposes of fantasy, like you have to knock them down. So I, I agree with you. You know, I am not taking, I am not taking those guys where they're going, which is why I am, you know, it's, it's why I'm still talking about zero running back. It's why I'm still, you know, not drafting running backs until the sixth, seventh, eighth round sometimes on some of my fantasy teams, of course, not all of them like this year. Uh, and this was actually true last year as well, but this season with the way that running back has evolved in the NFL right now there, if you pick outside of the top five, in your fantasy league like you, you are just behind the eight ball they're they're uh, in terms of projected points because the top five players christian mccaffrey saquon barkley ezekiel elliott alvin kamara and dalvin cook those are the guys who are going to see 250 plus carries 70 plus targets in a healthy season and there's there's absolutely no way around that basically and and outside of that you are massive question like literally every running back i mean we could go through the top 30 guys right now and be like, there are massive question marks for all of them. The only guy I would say that there's no question marks around that you know who he is is Derrick Henry. Unless he gets hurt, you know yes. what he's getting. And it's not, he doesn't, unless he scores like 27 touchdowns, he doesn't have the upside to be the number one running back simply because he is a non-factor in the receiving game. But he's- You, you want to hear a crazy story, uh, crazy Derrick Henry stat that my guy, um, Rich Rebar at Lord Reeves told me the other day? Let's hear it. Without a touchdown, so in games where Derrick Henry has not scored touchdowns, he has never finished as a running back two or better. So in, ga in games where he does not score a touchdown, he, like, he is effectively useless. He is Naheem Hines if he doesn't score a touchdown. But now, he scores a lot of touchdowns. But he scores in like 90% but... of games. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he scores in an absurd percentage of games, but I just I thought that was a really interesting stat. Yeah, and but like someone like Josh Jacobs or even Nick Chubb would have to get up to the same touchdown expectation as Derrick Henry in order to be as like Derrick Henry is the advanced version of those guys. Like Kareem Hunt might Kareem Hunt won't outscore Nick Chubb. At least I don't think he will. But I think that he's a better he could fan though. he could. But I think he's a better fantasy pick. Um. Yeah. I mean, Hunt is another guy who. Uh, something I like to do is compare the average draft position between 
the high stakes leagues and like, you know, Yahoo and ESPN leagues. And Hunt is one of those guys who goes, you know, 20 picks ahead in high stakes leagues versus like casual ADP on, on, you know, the fantasy pros or whatever. Who, uh, are there any other players like that this year? I, I bet you quarterbacks just cause in high, like, can you explain the concept of high stakes leagues to people who don't quite understand? Because if you join a league of 12 people in a high stakes league, you're not just playing against 11 other people. You're playing against the 11 other people in your league and then everyone else from every other league too. Yeah. It's like, so it's like, it's like a GPP for DFS where, uh, in a way, so what you do is you draft into your 12 team league and then the top two teams in your 12-team league after the first 12 weeks of the season advance to uh, an overall playoff. So you get into an overall scoring contest where you know the goal is to the goal is to amass the most amount of points out of you know uh, 20,000 teams or whatever uh, in in the very end. And the playoffs take place weeks 13 through. 16 so you know basically guys are you're you're really 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 prioritizing ceilings over everything else in those formats yeah so you'll see players like patrick mahomes or lamar jackson or kyler murray go go way go like the first round because if they if mahomes passes for 55 touchdowns you're gonna have to have him or you cannot win correct yeah i mean maybe not maybe not the first round but you know for example the last four days in the football guys players championship Lamar and Mahomes have on average gone back to back at picks 23 and 24, which is about 10 spots higher than it would be in a casual league. As it should be. Like, I, I don't even think that I would take those guys at pick thing, 31 in my like 12 team league. I'd patch it together at the back end. Uh, I mean, I'm, I am more on board with those two because of just how absurdly they break the scoring at, uh, at, at court, like just how they break score. They break scoring overall entirely. Those those two guys specifically do. But yeah, I mean, I in general, I I don't think I've taken a ton of those guys in the third round. But just for example, um, even in even in PPR leagues, I have Lamar projected for you know more fantasy points than Michael Thomas, and and like that's a lot of fantasy points. That is, but what's the difference between Michael Thomas and the number five wide receiver and Lamar Jackson and the number five quarterback? I guess that would be that that would be the value question you're looking for. So in PPR, I have Mike Thomas projected for 352 PPR points. I have number five, DeAndre Hopkins, for 284. Uh, at quarterback, I have Lamar at 349 and Deshaun at 292. So it's a pretty considerable gap. I wor- I, I'm not worried about Lamar, but the questions of him run, like he has to run that much in order to be effective in terms of a yeah, fantasy sure. performer. Eventually that catches up with you. It's this one ankle tweak and you're fucked. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, any sort of injury that does not knock Lamar out of games, but makes him less effective as a runner is actually more devastating to your team than if Lamar tore his ACL because, you know, being forced to start Lamar Jackson, which you would obviously feel you had to do if you took him in the second or the third round and he's hobbling around out there and not really able to run, but you're starting him like that's more devastating than, you know, cutting him and, and starting uh, Sam Darnold. Oh God, that would, that would be, I mean, if you play in like points per ghosts leagues, you'd be fantastic. That's t- kind of the, 
kind of the thing why I'm down on Josh Allen this year. And Josh Allen's my guy. I had him everywhere last year, but he's being drafted where he should. So high. That's where he should be going based on his skill set. That's why I kind of pivoted to Daniel Jones, who likely won't score as many rushing touchdowns as Josh Allen does because he just calls his own number. But with Zach Moss around, maybe, you know, that Frank Gore rule on the Bills now in Moss's hands, he can actually like get into the end zone. And that, like, if Josh Allen isn't scoring eight rushing touchdowns, he scores three. Remember that year that Cam, he only had the one rushing touchdown? Everyone's like, Cam sucks yep. now. But then he scored like nine the next year. Like, if he's going to be a fluctuation guy, like, quarterback rushing touchdowns are so insanely difficult to project that you just have to get lucky with it. And where Josh Allen is being drafted right now, that you have to get lucky with it before he could just play kind of play to his baseline. And it was all upside. Now there's downside to Josh Allen. Uh, there is, there is downside. And uh, you know, they, they have made obviously improvements around him with uh, trading first step digs and they're no longer going to be giving carries to Frank Gore. But I mean, yeah, like you were, you were drafting Josh Allen as if he is not a fragile player. And, you know, it's hard for me to imagine a more fragile player overall than Josh Allen. Yeah, I just remember the Patriots game when they just kind of went at his head. <laughs> like, if you're going to put your head down and try to run through the line, we're going to fucking smoke you. And it's just one bad hit. And he puts himself in. At least Lamar is good at avoiding contact. Not getting tackled. For the most yeah. part, Josh Allen initiates contact. That's not great. Just every time I'm about to do something with Josh Allen, so whether that be I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on him, I'm gonna bet on the Bills, I'm gonna bet the Giants to wit, like I I or, or the the Bills rather, like I just I'm thinking I think about that lateral play in the playoffs. Yeah, but that's part of the fun of Josh Allen, though. It is part of the fun, but it just like it's it's so catastrophically stupid that it just like I, I'll it's one of the probably one of the most memorable plays of my life I'll, I'll never forget it well i'm gonna spin that into a positive because you know most quarterbacks aren't out there trying to do stuff but josh allen is he's yes. gonna do whatever it takes even if it's completely boneheaded and that's what i like even if he misses like eight deep balls in a row he's not gonna be afraid to take a ninth shot like that's kind of his meant he's like dustin johnson when it comes down yeah he's to he's uh he's Mo- he's monte ellis yeah, like whatever happened like three seconds before doesn't seemingly factor into whatever he's doing next, which is both bad from a real life perspective, but like good from a fantasy perspective. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I very much, I very much agree with that point. I think that, um, like that's it's very true. But I guess the the main issue to me comes in that like you can draft Josh Allen. What's he going to look like the seventh or eighth quarterback kind of thing like that range? Josh Allen right now is going as the seventh quarterback pretty much once Russell Wilson goes Josh Allen will be the last guy who goes early in your league basically where like he's the last guy where you're like oh that guy selected him early because then then you get into the Ryan Brady Wentz Breeze Stafford Rogers group of guys where it's totally personal preference at that point but like what's the difference if Cam starts week one what's the difference between Cam and Josh Allen fantasy wise you know i mean i i i personally i think i would rather take cam where he's going now i i I mean i just because like if cam is for real healthy and all bill belichick cares about is uh winning games like cam and and they only want to have him for one year cam might cam might run like an absurd amount of times i agree like i i just don't see why you would spend up on josh allen or get cam in the last round and take a flyer like why not yeah no i'm i'm with you i'm with you for sure 
Or so you had Daniel Jones and Cam and have the most volatile quarterback situation that there is. Uh, before we get into the, the rest of the stuff, you know, the, the regular Corona cast stuff, uh, that it's going to be weird because people are going to tune into this thinking it's a fantasy football show and then get to the Corona cast part and be like completely turned off by the entire experience. Then you're going to have the people who Suckers. love. Then you have then you have the people who love listening to the Corona cast, where you know this show is probably going to pick up on your feed, the Take Cast. If people don't know, subscribe to that. Um, and they're like, "What the fuck is this fantasy football stuff all about?" I really enjoyed your show yeah. with Pete, though. Love talking, love talking to Pete. That's my guy. But before yeah, we, okay. I've been, I've been doing, I've been doing these, uh, like kind of fill in Corona cast shows ever since, uh, ever since you had baby number two, because the, the feed needed it. Two guys this year that I want to have on whatever team I draft, I'm going to make special mention of them. Like I will reach around to go get them because I believe in them so much as fantasy assets this year and talk about guys. I have ranked over Josh Jacobs. These are two guys I have ranked over Josh Jacobs. I'm going to end up with McLaurin and shark on basically every team. Um, McLaurin, everyone else seems to like him more than I do shark. Um, I'm with you hundred percent guy guys, uh, guys just so perfectly set up to succeed, to see, absurd amount of targets plays in an offense that uh, you know, they're going to be trailing a ton. Like it just, yeah, it's just, it's just going to line up perfectly for shark. My concerns with McLaurin. He's are, too good for you. Like you like shitty players and he's too good. It's basically just that like a weird stuff happens with players who are, are undrafted. That that's really, that's really the only, it's really the only thing I have with, you, with McLaurin. Why don't you check your draft privilege, pal? Yeah, it's just like I mean, just there are there are undrafted guys who smash right away, and oh, and I'm wrong anyways. McLaurin was drafted higher than I realized, <laughs> um, so everyone everyone listening to this immediately uh, immediately disregard me. I don't know what I'm talking about. But do you, but, do, you do you have reach guys? Like, are there like two or three guys you're like I need to get? Oh, that guy? yeah, big time. Um, so some of my some of my reach guys uh one of them is dj moore who everyone had like you can get him in the fourth round probably for if you're listening to this and you're uh you know you're you're just drafting for your 12 team home league dj moore is dj moore is one of them for sure uh like like if you just kind of historically look at guys who have produced the way dj moore has over his first couple seasons like it's like uh, Randy Moss and Mike Evans and guys who are, you know, on like hall of fame tracks. Uh, those are, those are, um, one of them. And then I like, don't, I like, don't love this guy as a player, but I find myself drafting him a ton. And I think you don't like him and it's James Connor. Just I, because I, 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 lo- I love James Connor. He's, I actually have him back to back in my rankings. I have Mike Evans, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, James Connor. Okay, so Connor would be a guy that, like, obviously you do not have to draft him this way, but I would prefer to have James Connor on my teams compared so to Josh Jacobs. The the uh, I, I I think I would just where Connor is going. I really like that. Le'Veon Bell is another one who I think is in that mix, like James Connor, where people are just like, eh, but he's just going to get volume, and sometimes that's all that matters. Jake brought up a really interesting point to me about James Connor, though, is that with COVID restrictions and like everything that's going yes. on. Like he's a guy who survived cancer that if there is a compromising situation, he may have to take himself out of that. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's one for him for sure. And then another one is Mark Andrews, which might, might, he might actually be the biggest one. Oh, I did. Well, what's the situation with Mark Andrews? Mark Andrews has 
like like uh, type one diabetes, oh, like yeah. the like like news. super gnarly, yeah, like super gnarly diabetes. So he is super immunocompromised, and he now he's already said Mark Andrews reportedly has said he would not opt out. But I don't know, man. That like if if per, me speaking personally as a coward, um, <laughs> I would I would not want to put myself in that situation. Well, it it then gets into I mean this is one of the main reasons that I wanted to you know come back do a Corona cast and talk to you is to talk about what actually happens with the NFL season in terms of how COVID's going to play in. Is there going to be there's not going to be a bubble by any means, and they're just still trying to work everything out. But it's one thing to say, hey, I'm not going to opt out. I have diabetes. I'm going to go for it. But it's a different situation if half the team breaks out with covid and you don't have it you need to get the fuck out of there yeah and um this is uh this is another point that someone brought up to me uh these guys who are on nfl teams they kind of hang out in like positional groups so like the the linemen the offensive linemen will hang out together the defensive linemen will hang out together the secondary will hang out together so like your your left tackle gets covid like there's a very real scenario where we see like whole offensive lines test positive. Uh, and, and I feel sort of encouraged by the results that we're getting from baseball players who are not in a bubble, but just, you know, like taking precautions and, and being intelligent about the way that they're exposing themselves to risk with super low infection rates. But there, there definitely is a scenario where when this season does play out and I, I think it's pretty likely that they're going to find ways to play these games, but, where like whole positional groups get wiped out for a couple weeks with a positive test. So what does that do to like, do you have to, there's no CFL this year. So do you just go and get those guys? If I was in charge, are you in charge? And I don't, I'm not in charge, but, and I think that there are reasons for the NFL and the NFL PA to not want this, but I would make practice squads like 30 men practice squads. And um, you know, you, I am, you have like five quarterbacks and there are like, you, you have like emergency quarterbacks and stuff who travel with the team because like, there's not going to be anything worse for the NFL and for the, the product on TV than for a bunch of quarterbacks to miss games due to COVID. Yeah, like, I, like I, the, you could not find anything worse. No, that's what happened with the XFL <laughs> in the AFL, like the just bad quarterback play. Yeah. If there is bad quarterback play, like it, it like literally if. Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and uh, Carson Wentz like all have to miss like important games with COVID. It's it's just a nightmare in terms of ratings and making money in this kind of you know crazy season. Like there just is not anything worse you could imagine than uh, what's oh there's such a good Canadian football quarterback name and I'm forgetting it now. Bo Bo Levi something Bo Levi Mitchell. Like you don't you don't want Bo Levi Mitchell starting games. Well, you'd have to use the bigger ball that way. He's used to the grip on it. But like if if you have these practice squad guys, I don't think that you can have them travel with the team. I think that you can with have the them, team. I think you could have them practice with the team wherever they are, but they have to like stay in their own bubble just in case there's a breakout on the team that they can be brought into play. Yeah, and it's just I mean I I I do think that they're like just the there's got this is gonna have to be a season where we see more guys play like it, it's so absurd to me to think that there will be a 16 game NFL season plus playoffs with traveling with these guys on flights and stuff. And, you know, the NFL operations 
is huge because it's not just your, your 53 man roster. You have all these coaches, you have, um, you know, strength and conditioning guys, you have trainers, you have doctors. There are, there are so many people like, what, what do you think, how many people do you think are needed to stage a fanless NFL game? What would be your, what would be your guess? Is that including broadcasting? Yeah. So that's include Cause we assume we, I mean, yeah, of course there's no reason to play these games if they're not being broadcast. So 53 active players per side, that probably goes up, right? Got to Got to think that there's at least like a 10 man reserve unit. That's like traveling with the team, right? Like right. You, you would just have to think. So let's call players and coaches on the sidelines 80 each. So there's 160 cameras for an NFL game. You can probably get away with a lot of like robo cams and stuff like that, that can be controlled elsewhere, yes. but you'll need people on technicians on staff to make sure that nothing goes wrong. Uh, like a stage director, all that kind of thing. And actual cameramen to follow stuff around and be on the field, that kind of thing. So that's, let's call that yep. production people 50 to a hundred people <laughs> for each NFL game. Cause that's just what it like. They'd be better off staging all these games in exactly the same place. In in one place yeah we like what the mls is doing yeah i'm and what basketball is going to be doing i just if there's not going to be any fans at these games and it does not seem like it seems like that they're trying to do it but that's not going to happen yeah which is just feels like wasted energy but yeah it, it does why not just go to sioux falls south dakota is that north dakota or south dakota go to sioux falls is south dakota. so go to wyoming go to wherever and then just stage all the games there or section off divisions and stage them all there. And that way you don't need to have all these people traveling around. You don't need new production setups. You can keep all the production people in a bubble as well. You know, it's going to be worth their while because the NFL and the TV networks are going to pay for the fuck. They could probably get DraftKings to pay for the entire thing. Cause it's going to be so valuable to have football back on the field for gambling purposes, for DFS purposes that. Yeah. So to answer your question, I'm probably thinking like, Fuck. It's like, it's like once you really start thinking about it, it's an absurdly high number. Like refs, medics, doctors, pilots who were just at the game because they flew the plane that's in, I would say like 400 people. I was going to say, I think the lowest number you can rationally say is like 400. That's a, that is a shit ton. That is a shit ton of people who can potentially expose Tom Brady to the coronavirus. Yes and no, but that's no different than like golf right now uh yeah but golf is just it's it's all it's all outside i mean football you can play it at an outdoor stadium (laughs) if you don't need fans well i mean locker rooms and everything is is a little bit different for football but it's not like the the golfers aren't going into the players locker room they are but they're also yeah and i mean i mean like the it seems like the pga tour has done a great job i just i think that um it just seems like the challenges of football because it's you know it's so face-to-face and everything it just it's it seems more difficult on the face to me to figure out the logistics to you know minimize transmission for football there's also an alternate problem that i don't think that anyone has really considered is that the macho aspect of football could present a real problem in transmission that if someone is feeling symptoms or anything like that that needs to be taken out of a situation they won't say anything they won't say anything just like when their like well, ankle is broken, then they're like, I can't lose my spot. I can't lose my job. And I, I completely understand that mentality. And that's what works a lot for football. But in this situation, it could be a huge negative. Yeah. Do you think do you think that the 
uh, do you think that a guy who's about to get his first start at like right guard is it, and he starts feeling a little sick that week? Do you think he's gonna tell someone that he's not feeling well when no. it's like maybe his his only chance ever? Not not a chance in hell. No no way no how. And that I think is an overlooked part of all of this. Yeah, I mean, I am. So here's the thing. I am optimistic that the NFL finds a way to play 16 games by hook or by crook because the the money that we're talking about for baseball, the money that we're talking about for NFL, to me, it it seems like it just it pales in comparison to the money involved in professional football in America. Do, like that that seems true on the face, right? Or is that wrong? I, I just it, it makes so much money that I don't know how some of these networks survive not necessarily survive but just the effect that it would have going forward like i'm actually kind of surprised that this isn't even like a trump campaign promise at this point like nfl will happen because i say it's gonna happen and then it'll happen uh, you're like hey way to go (laughs) it 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 really should be a trump campaign promise because i i I think I, i can't think of anything more um damaging to trump's re-election chances than than football being canceled or postponed it's it would be the it would be the number one nail in the coffin i would think it, it, football is weird because it's the one thing that everyone kind of likes like across the libs board. libs yeah libs libs like it too yeah it yeah. is so yeah you need to have it in oh it's, it's just i'm shocked that they didn't pick a bubble to do it in it just seems very short-sighted i think because of if you want to play the 16 games, that would be the easiest way to play the 16 games. Like, I don't know what their plan is. It seems like they are just starting to form a plan now, although they've had all this time to come up with one. It's like they wanted the so, N- it's like they wanted the NBA to figure it out for them, and then that didn't happen right away. So they were like, "Man, whatever." I just assume it's going to happen now. Like, it's like they just pretended like you know the pandemic would be over by the time football started, and it wouldn't be a big deal. That is what. Laird said to me was that the NFL was waiting to see how baseball and basketball figured it out. And they were just going to copy that. And then it just, it became too late, right? Like base, baseball and basketball have not restarted yet. And training camp starts in four days. So no preseason is what we're looking at. And to tie this back into fantasy a little bit, uh, it was either you or uh, Overzet who made the point that if you want to do zero RB, now is probably this, this th- is the year this is really the year just because of we don't know of the potential games that running backs are going to miss uh and just open up just random people to be starting running backs on team if and like hopefully COVID doesn't affect anyone in the nfl but pretending like it won't and people are going to have to miss games is probably yeah that's a absurd bit, it's probably a bit far-fetched but we'll see maybe, maybe they'll find an easy way to contain it but let's just say like Christian McCaffrey misses three games. Well, that's not good for your fantasy team. If you've drafted Christian McCaffrey, all of a sudden Reggie Bonifon probably is the guy that you're going to want to have. And I can't remember which one of you made the point is that it's not that losing Michael Thomas would be any better, but there's no one you slot in for Michael Thomas. Who's any good like Michael Thomas yeah. is. And I'm not saying that you sub in someone for um, Christian McCaffrey and all of a sudden he's Christian McCaffrey, but he could be like, 65 percent christian mccaffrey's numbers and that's good enough (laughs) yeah that is that is the exact point which is just that running back injuries generally speaking and this did not play out last year i mean 2019 was just the apocalypse for zero rb it it did not work in any way nothing that you need to have happen happened but 
generally speaking, running backs are going to step into a pretty clearly defined role when the starting running back is injured. Whereas at the wide receiver position, opportunities are allocated based on skill as opposed to like just existing like teams are not going to throw the ball 100% of the time so the starting running back is going to get touches even if he's terrible but just because you are on the field as a wide receiver does not mean that you are going to garner targets so if Michael Thomas gets injured you know that doesn't mean that uh uh you know Traquan Smith becomes Michael Thomas yeah and even like that target share gets allocated between Emmanuel Sanders and Traquan Smith yeah five guys and and whoever it is whereas like I said if Kamara gets hurt Latavius Murray gets the carries if Latavius Murray gets hurt whoever the hell the next guy up is I think it's Dwayne Washington is he on the team now still he was their third running back I gun to my head right now I do not think I could I could find the third running back for them now I'm not pro zero RB by any means. Like I think that there is decent value on some of these other top end guys. Like I think Kenyon Drake is a good pick. I think Joe Mixon is a really good pick. I think Miles Sanders is a good pick. I actually like Leonard Fournette marginally this year as someone who can produce. I like I like um I like Drake and Sanders quite a bit. Like if those guys are there in the second round, I'm taking them. And I've I've taken Miles Sanders in the first round as well. I could see Drake like Drake's lasting to the middle of the second. I like Drake a lot. I haven't ranked at number nine overall. Yeah, I, I like him a lot. I think he's a very calculated gamble where I wouldn't want to take him at nine overall because I know that he I could get him later. But if you get into a situation where you're picking 12th, you either take him at 12th or 13th or you don't get him. So those are some of the compromises that you have to make in those situations. But if I was like picking eighth or even if I was picking ninth, I'd probably let him pass to see if I could get him on the way back just to maximize my value. That's another thing that people don't talk about enough in draft is like, oh, I like this guy, but how much more do I like him versus the pool of players that are remaining? How do I maximize the team that I'm drafting, even if I might miss out on a guy that I really like? I always say like with my rankings is you compare it to ADP, but the whole goal of them is to have as low of a sum as possible of the numbers next to the rankings at the end of the draft. Like you, if you can get six and seven and get them in rounds one and two, that's the move. But like, if you have to take pick number 21 before you pick number 19, knowing that 19 is going to last, well, you add up 19, you add up 21 in your total is 40. That's better than two players that combine for like 49, something like that. That's the way that I try to look at it. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, a lot of the mistakes that people make with fantasy football just comes in not understanding what the goal of the game is, and w- the goal, the goal of the game is to win. Use your available resources, which are your, you know, your draft picks and your fab, to generate the most value over expectation from those slots, right? And it's just, it just really just comes from people not understanding that. And I would, I, I see no real difference in drafting. Like, I would rather that's why I tend to rank ceiling a bit higher uh, than a lot of other people, just because I I don't care if I come seventh or last, like that's no difference, but if I have a chance to win, I want to win. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, pretty much after the first 50 or so players, there are so many question marks and so many variables that really you should only be considering, you know, 90th percentile outcomes as opposed to medians a lot of the time anyway. Well, that was a fun fantasy football talk. You got real life Corona topics you want to talk about? What's going on with you? You've been okay? Uh, yeah, you know, things are like, cause I, I live, I live in the Midwest, which is, Safe. you know, not one of the, yeah, it's like, it's like people are not great about wearing masks here, 
but things are kind of so spread out that it just has not been a super high transmission area. Now, I think that when school restarts, which uh, it sounds like in a lot of states, it's just school, it's just going to go back. And I also, you know, I, I think that one of the things that gets lost in these discussions, especially on Twitter, where, you know, people are, are just making one point and they're thinking in dualities and they're not thinking about, you know, what we, what we don't know. Like, I, I would not even be comfortable saying as someone who is generally fearful of COVID-19's impact on the health of people in America, which is like, it's probably not a good thing for schools to be closed. Like schools are daycares in the United States and it allows parents to work and schools are food, you know, meal plans for a lot of kids who, you know, are, are not food secure. And there's all sorts of uh, social in, like social impacts of like kids, you know, not being socialized, not being around other people their age. So, like I can't even say that schools shouldn't be open, but I just, it's just been such a disaster relative to what every other world government has done you know like it just every every other country is back onto a path of normal except for america and it's just it feels absurd to live through it well obviously i'm in a different country than you so i i see what's going on in america but do you guys actually see what's like do you have any concept of what's how like i live in one of the two places where covid19 in canada is still like an everyday a thing. a thing like i live in downtown toronto like downtown toronto downtown montreal are now like the two places where it's still like a real thing uh you got to be you know, yeah like it, it it's it's dead in saskatchewan right like they're they're over it well where i'm from where cust lives uh the east coast so there's four four atlantic provinces i think they went like five weeks without a confirmed case like a new case yep. uh, after like the initial wave went in and even the initial wave basically just resided within like one old folks home in like downtown Halifax where I'm from. Um, and it did, did its damage. Uh, and once it kind of got run out of there, it stopped. And then all of a sudden cases started popping up like one, two, three, four across these provinces and no one could figure out why it's because Americans came across the border and came in. That's why our border, that's why the Jays can't play in Toronto basically. <laughs> yeah. That's a, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, and, and I don't, <sighs> It's just so like how how it 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 it, it, it I, I don't even have the words, Pat. It it's so frustrating. I literally can't even form coherent thoughts on to how bad because like I think that it's it's actually kind of a cop out to be like, this is Donald Trump's fault, this is governor's fault, this is whoever's fault. Like it like the personal responsibility for Americans as it's been related to the spread of coronavirus, all time low levels of personal responsibility. I think that's what it is, is that it, when things go right or things go wrong, if things go right, people want to take a victory lap for their side. If things go wrong, they want to blame the other side without even just like looking in the mirror and saying, I, I could have helped out just a little bit. That's the one thing that I've noticed here. Uh, they actually just passed an ordinance. It's now a bylaw within Toronto and we're further behind the rest of our province in Ontario of actually opening up. But we're doing like, OK, uh, you like you can't go to restaurants and eat here yet. But there are patios open with like six feet in between everything that you can yeah. go to in limited numbers. So that's like that's our step. We're in what they're calling stage two. And we've been that stage way for two. a month. And we need a certain I think it's like 13 or 14 days with a 60 percent reduction in new cases to open up like the next one. Uh, so we're, yeah. we're getting close to that. The rest of the province actually has that where they can dine inside. Gyms are open by scheduled appointments. Although a gym is not like, I, I love going to the gym. 
really love it. And I really miss it. Um, not the first place I'm going to go with COVID still around. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I mean, the gym is going to be the first place I go when I feel comfortable that COVID has, that there is an answer, you know, whether that be a vaccine, whether that be an actual reduction in cases, you know, uh, month over month where, where I live. But yeah, I mean, the gym, the gym that I go to is back open, but I have not gone and, and won't go. That just, that just seems like a place where you'd get it. Not going to lie to you. (laughs) I mean, it seems like everything we know is that like it is transmitted, you know, through the air and like when you're you know yelling and grunting and like that's just like that's the that's where you're gonna get COVID. yeah like a lot of moisture all around probably not the greatest thing like i I can i've been patching together my workouts for four months i can probably last you know another little bit here until at least it gets absolutely freezing up here i should be okay i would hope in terms of that but uh, back to the bylaw they actually passed the you have to wear a mask anywhere like you go in and some people hate it some people you know there's no real difference between here in America when it comes down to it. There's a lot of people who are like COVID isn't even real. And then there's other people like, you can't tell me to wear a mask that infringes on my freedoms, but everyone seems, yeah. seems to have more of a societal contract of, Hey, if I'm going to the grocery store, the grocery store says I have to wear a mask if I want to shop here. And they do <laughs> like, that's it. I mean, yeah, you, you hit, you got at the, Part of the matter, which is that Americans do not respect the social contract that that is that that is as firmly as it can be stated, which is just that a, a large chunk of people who live in the United States do not either didn't learn about, don't understand, don't care about the social contract. And, and the people that don't want to wear them that do end up wearing it because, again, it's the law. They won't let people in. <laughs> Um, you know, if they just want to go get somebody, they put on a mask for like 10 minutes. That's it. Like I, I go out and I take my sons for a walk, sons, plural now, um, like every day I don't wear a mask when I go walk around, I'm outside. Like, no, I very rarely see people outside unless they're like, like outside of my office in the downtown core. You do see a lot of people with masks, like walking outside. Cause it's still kind of congested on the streets. I get that. I don't do it, but maybe I should. But when I'm just like walking around like my neighborhood where it's not super packed all the time, like I'm not wearing a mask outside. But if I go in, I have one with me. But if I have to go in somewhere, I have a protective thing on the stroller for the kids, like a bubble basically, so nothing can get in. And I put my mask on and we go in somewhere. Like I just don't see why it's that hard. So I, these are the places I go right now. I go to, there's a a golf course right near my house that i have a membership at the driving range do, do, i don't wear a mask yeah there. Do, you, do you wear a mask golfing no i, I when i when i go golf i never like it's set up so that you never have to go inside right you 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 come up you get your bucket you never have to go inside you never have to be you know within you just don't have to be close to other people and i i do not wear i do not wear a mask there i i see some people wearing a mask there you know good for them but whatever i i certainly would not point and gawk at anyone but i you know, again, because a lot of what we know about COVID is that it just it has a hard time transmitting outside because of the way it transfers via uh, like you know, like respiratory droplets or whatever, and that's just gonna have a lot harder time transmitting outdoors. And I've seen a lot of people like kick back that they don't want to wear a mask because you know science says it doesn't even do anything. I I don't even know what the science is around it. I don't know if it's super effective or not effective. It seems just objectively it seems like it would be better to wear one when you're around a bunch of people rather than not wear one whether it works or not i don't know but just like in my mind how logic works that would seem to be true well even if you're not even if 
um, the science is unclear or you're not sure how the science of, you know, droplet transmission works, you could just take an empirical approach to it and you could be like, okay, well, what happens in countries where they have a super high rate of people wearing masks or masks are mandatory? And you look and you see in South Korea, in uh, Great Britain, you know, uh, in France, in Spain, in Italy, where everyone went super hard on wearing masks, you see that they pretty much immediately got good results and, and you're empirical learning brain would be like, okay, well, that's probably worth a try. Yeah, I, I think it's the worth the try part that a lot of people just didn't even give the time to, which I found odd. And that people even here, like I said, that you know, not everyone's on board with wearing masks and most people don't wear them when they're out in public outside. But when they go inside, you know, they're just like, yeah, I'll give this a try. It's not making things worse, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. It is that I think you you make a great point, which is like, what harm can wearing a mask possibly do? And I see people like I find it. Do you like I don't really notice that I'm wearing it, and I think I like kind of like wearing the mask. I have mask face. Uh, I look better in a mask. I feel uh, I have very high cheekbones. I have like French style cheeks. They're very high. They're very plump. Apparently, this is going to serve me very well when I'm older. That I won't look as old. But now, like you know, I got I got fatter cheeks than I'm actually fat. Cover that up with a uh, cover up with a mask. It looks like I got a nice lean jaw on the go. Like I, I can see the look behind it. But I never have problems. Like if I I guess if I wore it for like eight hours at a time, I would have problems with it. But for like twenty minutes, like I actually don't notice. <laughs> yeah, it's like I I literally only ever wear it. Go you know go in to go whatever go pick up a takeout order or go to the grocery store or whatever like I'm wearing it I'm wearing it you know probably at max like 45 minutes at a time and yeah it just is not it's not bothersome to me I could see why you know if I had to go inside somewhere and work if I was working at a grocery store if I was working at somewhere that required me to be inside with recycled air for a long time and I felt like I had to uh, I felt like I had to wear it. I could see why it would be bothersome. I've heard that people who wear glasses, it's super annoying for, you know, because it, it causes your glasses to fog up. So I wore, you, you can see me right now. I wore these blue blocking glasses that I wear while I work to the grocery store the last time I went just to see what it was like. And it was, you know, marginally more bothersome, but not enough to like make me be like, well, I'm not wearing this shit. Yeah. I, I if I wear sunglasses going into a place, uh, then yeah, I have to take them off because they fog up. Well, let's see this. Uh, today's today's the twenty first as we record this. It's always hard. Like I, I would have done this sooner with you. It's just it's hard to bank this show and then keep it for a week because so much changes all the time. So much changes. Yeah, uh, we had a two hundred and three new COVID cases today uh, in Ontario. Most of them in, let's see, most of them in the Peel region, which is not downtown Toronto. Some of it was a backlog, and the majority of them are people under the ages of 39 because people are back out like partying again. Uh, yeah, people are people are doing that in the United States as well. Let's see if my state has uh, new data for today. No, we, no new data for no new data for my state today. We had 30 new cases in Toronto, so that's a population. I believe that counts. I think it's five and a half million people. So we're trying to get there. The uh, the linear scale for cases where I live is not great. It's basically a rocket ship since March 12th. There's been, there's been no flattening of cases in Missouri. Well, I think there is something to it too. Like when you see like the rest of the world, like how do you perceive Canada as doing with this 
not necessarily versus the United States, but like it feels like when you look at media or you see people like sensationalize everything that's happening in America with this right now, it's always compared to other places. Yet there's no talk about what yeah. happens in the other places. It's just, oh, it's going down there. It's going up here. Like we're doing a bad job. But like, do you guys, did you have any semblance of what other countries are actually doing besides, hey, you've heard that they're wearing masks? Um, well, it seems like the biggest thing that's the difference between the United States and other countries is they were to develop, they were developing some test and trace programs and there has been, you know, no attempt to do that in the United States, basically. Well, I, I have gone out once. Uh, I went out for lunch with a friend that I hadn't seen in a while. We went to a patio, Mm uh, and in order to get on the patio, I had to give the maitre d' my phone number and my driver's license in order to yeah. get in. I, I didn't care. That would, that would not fly in the United States. But There's it, just a 0% chance of that happening. I, I thought just because it was if someone has it that they can track you down and trace it to you very early. Yeah. And there, are, there, there was one guy who showed up. He was like the guy who was in front of me in line. He was told this is what he had to do uh, in order to get in. He like caused like a bit of a fit about it. And then the guy said, like, look, like, I'm sorry. These are the regulations. You can't come in. You can go somewhere else. But they have the same rules. Uh, And, like, he threw, like, a mini fit. And then he left and, I guess, went home. Like, but it didn't seem to be, like, people didn't seem to have as big of a problem with it as I thought they would. And I can see why people do have a problem with that. It's very intrusive. I just don't care. (laughs) Like, there's no. Yeah, I mean, I. Like, if if anyone has a cell phone, they're, like, everyone's tracking you anyway. Like, what's the fucking difference? Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I so I, I think this is a key point. I understand from a very, very high level why someone would say, you know, being tested and traced for COVID is, you know, an infringement upon my my rights as an individual. Where I where they would lose me completely is, you know, for example, if those same people would not take offense to like secret police in Portland without identification or, or badges, you know, basically kidnapping people off the street and sending them to federal prison and, and not taking umbrage with that. And unfortunately, because of the current political climate in the United States, like you are, you're like forced to hold these two diametrically opposed decisions due to the way, you know, uh, politics is playing out. Yeah, but politics is one thing. Reality is a different thing. And most people, yeah. like when you talk to people, like you said, on Twitter, they are one side or they are another. They have one opinion, and that opinion is never going to change. No matter where you yeah. basically fall on the political spectrum in real life, there's shades of gray. There's nuance to a lot of this stuff. Like you could be yes. the biggest lib on earth and then have like – and not want to be traced, you know what I mean? Or you could be the other way around, that you could be a huge right-wing person, but you're like, you're okay with the you know, the greater good of giving up your information. Like, just because you're politically aligned one side doesn't mean that you're exactly the same. It's just like when you take overall voting blocks. People like to talk about overall voting blocks, whether it be, oh, people in Minnesota vote this way. Black people vote this way. You know, people under eight, 18 to 24 vote this way. Now, there are trends among this, but to say that every individual within that grouping is exactly the same is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, that is that is for sure true. And I mean, uh, this there is there is also this thing that, like you know, the actual ideals of liberalism and and being on the far left side of the spectrum. You actually, I don't love the idea of you know the government having some big repository of where people are. All, all the time and knowing, you know, everything that there is, you know, knowing all of our 
private information because that is a a very small step from there to fascism, right? And uh, you know, just kind of the way that the American center left party, the Democrats, has aligned itself is extremely, extremely large government, but like in the wrong ways, which is very interesting. Well, I think we had this discussion on one of the very first shows that we did together that I said that, you know, just based on history, like if you get like a super right wing type thing, you get like an authoritarian government. But to actually get fascism, it usually comes from the left. It, it comes with, well, we know better than you. And our ideas are really good and they're for like everyone. So you need to listen to us. And then it becomes like an authoritarian fascist type thing. Like it it all starts out with, I mean, you shouldn't eat that. Like Cust is always the fun one with this. And like he got really upset when in Canada they took trans fats out of things. And he's like, well, this is just step one to fascism basically. And like, he's not wrong in a way. Like they're taking away your personal choice, but like trans fats are good for no one. Like, they serve relatively no purpose besides, like, preserving things in frozen food, and they're objectively really bad for you. But if that's the first thing that comes, what's the next thing that comes? And what's the next thing that comes? And that usually comes more from the left than the right, like that sort of regulation. And I can, I don't think that's actually what's happening right now, but I can see how people jump there in their minds. Well, and it's, it's certainly true because a core tenet of liberalism is that you cannot trust people to do the right thing. And I am certain that many of, uh, of my, my leftist buddies would disagree with that take that, that you know, they think people are inherently good, yada, yada, so on and so forth. But like, I don't believe that, right? And that's something that I think, I mean, I know you and I have talked about before and uh, you, can, you can draw a direct line from that thought of, you can't trust people to do the right thing. You can trust people to just act as selfishly as possible all the time to, a lot of the a lot of the leftist political ideals that are basically limiting people from the access to the ability to do harmful things to others for their personal gain. Yeah. So and, and it, I, it is true. And I tend to believe that people inherently do want to do the good things uh, yeah. when it boils down to it and that you just see people focus so much on bad actors uh, and like sensational things that they see that it leads them to believe that people are inherently bad, which I just don't think is true. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I disagree with you. I, I think that, I think that a, a, a large majority of people, maybe, maybe even in their heads, they think they're a good person. They think that they would rather put the greater good ahead of themselves. But when, the rubber meets the road, they do not do said thing. No, I, I don't necessarily agree. I think everyone acts in their own self-interest, but I think that own self-interest to most people does benefit the greater good of society moving along, things being as peaceful as possible, things running as smoothly as possible. I think that just because something is an individual need doesn't necessarily mean that it's not good for the public as well. Those things can work side by side. Well, I mean that, yeah, that returns that returns to the social contract and um and and those sorts of like, you know, if, if what's good for the individual is is largely good for society, and that's true in some cases, but on the extreme cases, which is unfortunately kind of what America attracts, that is you know not true because of of what is personally good for you know CEOs and owners of like mega mega large corporations ends up being very bad for the individual sure what um did you see my movie bracket that i put out 
Uh, I did. I don't. I have not. Uh, I don't know the winners though. Well, you just have to go vote, and the voting isn't closed yet. Okay. All right. I'm looking. I'm looking at the bracket breakdown right now. It's 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 the pin tweet, and just like if you click yeah, on I'm, the tweet. I'm looking. I'm looking at it right now. Do you, how many of these movies of the '68 do you think, or '64 do you think you've seen? My guess, just from kind of looking right now, my guess would be I've seen sixty to seventy percent of them. See, I wanted to do one of these because I'm going to do one for the '90s too. I have those shows already filmed. I want to get this one over first, just so it's not completely confusing. It's the best movies of the aughts, so the 2000 to 2000, the end of 2009, and like yeah. I, I've had to mute the conversation, which I've been doing a lot on Twitter recently. Uh, just muting. great. It's a great feature, the mute feature. Yeah, not necessarily muting people, just muting the conversation that comes along with certain things that get posted. Like, I don't want to have to explain the semantics of every single thing. Like, originally, I had it listed as funniest movies of like 2000s because I thought like that's a decade. Like, if I put 1990s, people would know what I'm talking about. But I put down 2000, they're like, "What about this movie that came out six months ago?" It's like, well, no, it's just that decade. It's, it's like, hey, grow up, bro. So then I put it from 2000 to 2010, thinking like people would say, oh, that decade. But then they're like, this movie came out in 2010. Why isn't it? And I get why that's confusing. But like what sort of fucking movie bracket runs for an 11-year period? Like very little common sense goes into the people that aggravate me on Twitter. So this brings me to I think I'm going to delete Twitter from my phone. I'm not going to stop using Twitter. but So I think think nothing could give someone – more personal happiness than to delete Twitter off their phone. I, I really like everything that makes me mad on a daily basis pretty much comes from Twitter. And I don't get mad about what I see on Twitter and I don't get mad at 99% of the replies that I get. It's just, it's very easy stuff that people just aren't taking the time. Like someone, I, I tweeted something out the other day and they just clearly didn't read the entire tweet. They read like the first line of it. And then got like super mad about it. I was like, "Did you even read this?" They're like, "No." I'm like, well, no. What do, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> they never. Yeah, no. The 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 egg twitters. They never read anything. But it's but it's not egg Twitter. It's like real people Twitter. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I I saw someone share this quote the other day, and uh, the the great George Carlin. You you probably know it, but like. You know, think of the average stupid person, you know, and then realize that on average, you know, just by the nature of the way math works, 50% of people have to be stupider than that. Yeah, it's really strange. And I thought we were in a, like, that's, that's the one thing that I like about being, that's the difference between the daily fantasy space and the sports gambling space. I find that, like, sports gambling just tracks so many people. Sports gambling is really easy. I'm going to bet on easy. this or I'm going to bet on this. There's a complexity to daily fantasy strategy that usually people give it a try that like, you know, are kind of stupid and they're like, "Oh, this isn't for me. I can't figure this out." And they just don't do it anymore. But the people that are highly invested in daily fantasy, whether they're good at it or not, think about it in a way that is a lot different than regular fantasy football, than gambling on sports, that there's a I, I don't want to say that people are smarter who do it, but the engagements that I have with people who just strictly talk about daily fantasy as a whole tend to be better conversations, like with random people. Um, yeah, I mean, it just it it it, uh, it just attracts people who are a little bit more critical in terms of like thinking and and 
yeah they there that's really all there is to it just it just it's a it's a group of people who are used to thinking a little bit more yeah like the, the difference in the question that i would get like as it pertains to golf like someone would ask me hey on DraftKings, there's like six guys in the top end 6k range like why do you like this guy more than this guy like, okay, I, that's something I should be able to answer if I say I like one guy over another. In golf, with like 156 players in the field, a lot of the time the answer is, well, I like this guy, and I didn't even really think about this guy. Like, nothing stood out about this guy to differentiate him from the 20 other people that are the same price, but this guy stood out to me. That's why I like him more. The gambling question is, who do I bet this week? <laughs> who's going to win? Exactly. Go- who's yeah, go- who's, who- who's going to win? Yeah, who's going to win golf this week? It's like, I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Anyone could, uh, right? Well, yeah, anyone. I mean, not anyone. Chris Fuckio Couch probably isn't going to win, but uh, or Garagas. Yeah, is Garagas in the field? Yeah, I was. I just happened to look at the Corn Fairy odds this week, and I saw that before Garagas got put into the the big boy field at the 3M, he was two hundred and fifty to one on the Corn Fairy Tour. I like Garagas. Big big fan of Garagas. He hit me a first round leader at the Canadian Open two years ago. It was like two hundred to one. It was nice, but. Like I notice that it's not so much through my content that I get it, but I do this thing with Golf Digest where we we write like write up our picks, we do the betting article, but they just release like uh, our picks as an. Like, oh yeah, you're you're getting nothing but knuckle drag response to that. But they they put it as like an infograph on Instagram and on Twitter that just has like our pick to win, but it's not our pick to win. It's who we think the best value bet is of who's going to win. Like last like. For example, like last week I picked Tiger. Terrible pick. Uh, but he was 28 to 1. I was like, all right, 28 to 1. Like, if you would ask me before the tournament started, like, who do you think is going to win? I would have said Bryson. But I wasn't going to bet Bryson at 9 to 1. Like, there's no nuance in people understanding that when it comes down to it. And I know, I get that gambling's new for a lot of people. But, like, just the, the mind-numbing questions that I get off of this are, like, and I don't want to be, like, shitty about it. I really don't. I want to, you know, it's good for me to have more people excited about betting, more people excited about golf. I can bring them into my show, but like sometimes it's, it's why I want to just check it less often. And I would check it less often if it wasn't on my fucking phone. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you, it just, I get it off your phone. If you, if you are, if you want to do it, I, anyone who wants to do it, I would just encourage you to do it. And I can always just like, if I want to watch something and tweet it from my phone or something like that, or do a Q and a, I can just go download it. Like it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not a hard way to jump back in. It'll just, it just, um, not having it on your phone delays you going to go get that, that dopamine hit for half a second. And you're like, well, is it really worth it to go download it? Like you, you, it's, it has to be more deliberate when you do it. Because I got rid of most of my news feed and Reddit on my phone. Like, a month and a half ago and well i am significantly less informed about what is going on in the world i feel like i'm much happier like you talked about i guarantee you are like you talked about portland like i have a very vague understanding about what is happening in portland right now and frankly it's not it's not even happening in the country i live in i feel like it's something that we would normally talk about i'd be all up on no like yeah what's this side saying what's this side saying i just it's not that i don't care it's just there's too much to care about right now that just i think just kind of trying to be happy might be the move Yeah, I mean, there, that is, uh, that's a big thing is like news fatigue. There's so much bad news and you never know what to be upset about or angry about. And, you know, to be frankly, to be frank, that is, uh, it seems to me like a pretty good 
tool of the oligarchy to just numb you enough to not care about all the atrocities going on around you. But like at the same time, you know, like what, what am I, look, what are you supposed to do? Like, it's just, it is, uh, it's, uh, it's an unseverable knot basically in which you, in which you, you think like, okay, you know, it's, it's my job as a citizen of the world to know about this, but at the same time, what am you know what what is my role in all of this is it worth uh the this stone cold heartache i'm getting from from following this yeah and just how much of your time and mental capacity and emotion that takes when there's like i'm thinking about me about especially about stuff that happens in the united states what the fuck am i gonna do about it nothing i'm a i'm in canada for one thing uh i can't cross the border that's not gonna help me and like real, realistically what i'm gonna what am i doing besides, what are you gonna do what am i doing besides getting upset about this nothing that that is literally the end of the relationship that I have with what's going on. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, but having my son is now nine weeks old, so we lasted our last Corona cast nine weeks ago. So I think we filmed the day before I was taking off. So I've had two kids uh, under the time that I've been with DraftKings. I've missed a total of one day of work. <laughs> you missed how many weeks of work? One day of work. Well. Pretty impressive, Pat. Pretty impressive. Well, thanks to people and guests like you, I was able to record some stuff in advance that, you know, I never missed a day of everything that's going on. But this, like having two kids under 18 months now with no daycare has been fucking rough. Like bad news. Bad news bears. I I mean, I, I, I really mean this when I say it. I cannot imagine. I, I truly in no way can imagine what that would be like for me. It has made the days go by very quickly. It's just trying to work full time while doing this, uh, like because my wife needs to be with the infant because she's feeding him. Like, and then we have like this monster running around. You know, he runs, he talks, he just throws shit around all the time. You put him in a pen, he loses his fucking mind, and there's no daycare to go back to. Apparently, like there's daycare opening soon, but we're on like the very lowest priority, being to able. Two healthy 30-year-olds with two kids, like, you, know, you can take care of those yourself until we have more spots back open. I don't even know if we want to send our kids back to daycare right away. I mean, I would like to, just to get them out of my hair as someone to babysit them. But at the same time, yeah. I don't know what the concerns are. Fortunately, because we're not being charged for daycare right now, My ma- I convinced my mom to drive up. It's a 27-hour drive. Uh, she drove up, and we rented her an Airbnb because our place is just too small to house anyone else like it's too small for us and two kids to have another person stay there uh would just be insane like it wouldn't work so we had to rent her an airbnb and like she took leave from work uh so whatever we were paying for daycare to begin with we're just paying for her place and her now to come up and like help us with the kids which has been a huge relief uh but that is coming to an end soon so we don't know what we're going to do uh well you know, I, I wish you I wish you all the luck in the world. I don't have I don't have the answers on on what uh, on what you should do. It sounds it sounds terrifying, as does everything to do with children to me. That just all sounds terrifying. It's funny. The two highlights. So I have three highlights of my day because I love doing the show. I love talking to the guests. I actually love filming the show. That doesn't quite crack the top. That's why I do what I do, because I actually love doing it, uh, you know. The audio editing is not the most fun part of the show, as it would turn out. But that's a necessity. Of the right. That's the work part of the job. The work part is not the talking about this stuff. That's the fun part. Yes. But, like, every morning, my son now, he used to wake up. He used to sleep from, like, 7 to 7. But now he sleeps from, like, 7 till 
random time. Could be 5.30 in the morning, could be 6.30 in the morning. It's never past 7. Like, we used to get, like, once a week. It used to be 7 or later. Now it's maximum 7. So today I was up at 5.30, and I was just a zombie. So I went to bed at, like, 2. But, like, sitting with him on the couch after he eats for, like, 15 minutes and just kind of, like, zoning out, best part of my day until I put him down to sleep at night. Then that becomes the best part of my day. But it's... As someone who never wanted kids and now has two, it's it's great. I, I get why people like kids. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, I can imagine that it's like the most rewarding experience that you can have as a person, but it, it still sounds terrifying to me. Yeah, but it's one of the, it's like anything else in life that's terrifying. It's terrifying until you do it and then you, until figure, you do it and then you figure it out. Like everyone, like I, lo- I looked at the situation that I was in. I like my wife and I. We waited a while to have. Like I waited a long time. I waited until I was in my thirties to get married because I thought I would probably marry the wrong person when I was twenty four. As it turned out, everyone I know who got married at twenty four was divorced by thirty, uh, and everyone who got married after thirty is still currently together at this point. So you know, waiting until you're a little bit older to make some decisions that your life actually takes off a little bit then you know what you're doing for the rest of your life. That seems to be, at least for people I know, a more sensible decision. At least it was for me personally. So that was good. But we waited for a while to have kids. But, like, I don't know, man. Like, it's, I don't know how, like, my mom was 16 when she had me, and she managed. Like, I can't do that as someone with a full-time job, with a wife who has a full-time job in our thirties when we're responsible adults, like she was able to do it. Why can't we do this? And you start thinking of it that way. Like people in such worse situations make this work that although I think everyone's terrified to have kids that it's not well difficult, not as difficult as you build it up in your single mind, but it just, it wipes away everything. Like one of the easiest parts of self quarantine during this pandemic is that I can't fucking go do anything because I have to watch my kids. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you are, you are, uh, yeah, like, it's like, what, what are you going to do? You're going to go out to go, go play golf or whatever? Like, no, like, you're, you're watching your kids. Yeah, I can't go out and meet the boys for drinks on Friday night at 830 because one of the kids is asleep and we have a toddler going around. And my, my wife is with them 24 hours a day because she's still on paternity leave or maternity leave. Like, it's, what, what am I going to just be like, well, I'm I'm sorry, wife. I'm going out now for four hours. I'm going to come back shit-faced, uh, and I'm going to sleep until 8 u- <laughs> Yeah, I'll be useless. I'll be useless tomorrow as well. Yeah, so, you like, you, there's a responsibility aspect that comes along with it, but as of right now, based on the world circumstances, that's not the worst thing to have happen. Like, I'm saving money by not going out. I'm not going out and getting sick. Like, that's that's probably for the best. Yeah, like a like like an actual win, an actual win for you is is it was having a kid during a global pandemic because you're you're not missing out on much. No, absolutely. Um, it was weird being in the hospital though. Yeah, so my my girlfriend's sister just had a baby uh, two days ago, and uh, they were they did the whole hospital and everything, and I'm I'm sure it was just a, a very surreal experience. So what else is on your mind? Uh, have you watched the Netflix show Dark yet? Probably not. Probably because you have you have kids. You don't have you don't have time to dedicate to go to go watch a bunch of TV. No, the only thing that I've watched like regularly has been the challenge, and that just ended. And I've been watching the show Black Friday, Black Monday, whatever the one is with Don Cheadle. I just watched the first season of that, just as like a background so I, show. 
Yeah, I don't I don't love to like uh, like tout TV shows to people. I'd rather, you know, tell them to go read a book or or something just because I, I find that to be more of like a, a positive thing. But this this show dark on Netflix is like actually good enough, actually enough of like a, uh, a an actual work of art that I, I would recommend people go take the uh 10 episodes over three like 30 hours to go watch it basically didn't this like show, it, it, it didn't, is didn't the show come out like three years ago like that's when i heard about it what's well, it's been the one season one season a year for the last three years and i i had never watched it until the the third season just came out three weeks ago yeah i remember when it i i just remember hearing about it at the time i actually have no idea what it's about but someone said it's like german and twin peaksy uh, yeah, Twin Peaksy, maybe a little Lost-ish, um, though you know everything. Uh, the the ending, the the fans are we're not tilted at the ending. Most of the most of the fans found the the ending of the of the series satisfactory, but it was um like legitimate, like probably the probably the best experience I've had watching a show since getting through like all of Breaking Bad. Okay, I'm gonna give that a shot. I mean, I have Netflix, so that works out well for me. Uh, you like the, the one thing though, is like it, you do actually have to pay attention. Like you, like you can't be like, uh, like sweating golf or, or whatever at the same time. Like I, I found that out during the first season. Like if you're, if you're on your phone on Twitter or whatever, so maybe this is be good motivation to, uh, delete Twitter, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not good. Like it's, it's, it ends up being bad if you're not able to pay attention. Oh, are you, you and Drewby are still doing the golf podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I download. Don't Still listen. doing the golf show. I download. Don't well, listen. fair enough. Yeah, that's, we accept. That, that's important for all for everyone out there who wants to support podcasts. Even if you don't want to listen to an episode, download it, then delete it. But download it first. Those numbers all count. They seem like listens. But have you noticed like a big uptick in interest in golf? Uh, so like we have got like we have more traffic on our golf optimizer and stuff like the the podcast we just like we don't really promote it all that heavily you know because i do i do so many different shows and stuff i try not to like overload on on any one thing but it seemed like a small a small uptick but in terms of like people accessing the the optimizer people accessing the projections the betting tools uh even even like people who are playing pjdfs and like talking about it in the daily roto slack as opposed to you know like uh like league of legends and and the other stuff going on right now i've never seen this much engagement in golf ever it seems like the perfect storm for golf because it's the most accessible of the like individual sports that are like currently going on from the people who normally just watch team sports because people play golf it's not like people play nascar or People who like baseball probably don't play League of Legends, you know what I mean? But they might play golf. Yeah, like everyone kind of has like some kind of passing familiarity with it. They they understand the rules. They understand how the they understand how the game works. It's not like they're having to completely re-educate themselves on something. So that that definitely works in its favor. And you know, also the golf has been great since the return, right? Like there just has been amazing tournament after amazing tournament, great finish after great finish. That has been a big thing, although it hasn't been a problem for us up here because we just stream it on, like TSN will pick up the CBS live feed from the internet and just play that on TV because they have the rights to do that. That it just seems like the PGA, it's working and ratings are going up and interest is going up because it's the only game in town, but I feel like they're really blowing it. Like they 
they could have made a lot of new fans and kept them. Now, obviously, they're not going to keep everyone. If they even kept like 5% of the new people 5%. that are tuning yeah. in, it's such a huge win and that would grow the game so much. And it's it just the way that they broadcast it and the way that they talk about golf, they just fucking blow it. I mean, it's, it is, it is unbelievably bad the way that they choose to cover golf. Like, and, and I don't know exactly whose fault it is. You know, I don't know if it's the TV, like, I don't know if it's people who hold the rights, if it's the PGA tour, but like just the way golf is presented to the public is in all of the avenues, you know, uh, you know, if we, if we think that there's, you know, an infinite number of outcomes for the way that they could present golf to the people, this is like in the bottom 10% of those outcomes. They just seem to be gearing it towards 65 year olds, which is fine because that's a large, I, it's probably even the majority of the golf audience, but all of the new people that have come in recently are not 65 year olds. They're people just, you know, 25, 45 people who are not inept at finding things on the internet or they want to see golf shots. They want to see like an actual, actual sports happen where it's not like, Oh, let's cut over to this random interview we did five days ago. Like I just can't believe that they still like doubled down on that as their product. It, it seems like something driven from like focus group hell, right. Of like talking to a bunch of like 53 year old guys who are like sell insurance or whatever and asking them what they want to see. But like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the stone cold worst way to do it. Like it should just be shot after shot after shot. We should be seeing all of the important moments and we really don't. And again, I know I've hammered on this point for like three years, but this would have actually been the perfect time to integrate a DraftKings style broadcast as a web property for this. That would have done such giant numbers right now. And I know it's probably yeah. It would have been to, it would have been huge. And it it seems like it'd be easier to do because of co- like you could have tested out so much random broadcast shit that you wouldn't have deemed acceptable on your network because of the standard that it was at. And you could have used yes. the pandemic as a cover of well, we're just trying stuff out. We're just trying yeah. So like uh, you know, literally, you send you know a bunch of different groups out, and like the the you know you have a you have you know, more cameras out there or like you, you like leave a, like maybe you leave 10 guys and they just stay on the green for a hole and they're like using zoom and stuff to, to get entire shots. Or you have one cameraman for probably not one cameraman for every grouper, but like just the, the shot quality would not be as good, but just overall you're seeing more shots. Yeah. I I had the low cost idea is, is send one person out with the entire group that just does an audio feed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, so, and how would that, like you, you put the audio feed on the broadcast or use that as the radio feed or, or how would that work? Just set up a streaming service. If I want to follow along Luke list, Siwoo Kim and Chess and Hadley, I can tune into their group and see what's going on. Do you, and, and these guys are mic'd up. Well, the guy who's following them is mic'd up. He's telling you what's going on in real time oh so okay i see what you're saying yeah so it's like it's like color commentary yeah i i mean that would that would be super low cost and that would be amazingly effective like i I would i would pay i would pay for that service yeah for sure and like i get how video is expensive video is much harder than audio hence i mean i'm having tech problems right now that's why we're recording this audio wise and not video wise but just the the and the level of entry would be so low on that and then you could start cobbling things together like hey 
we can see by shot tracker that Luke List is, you know, we just got told that he put it into the left rough. And if you wanted to kind of cobble together like a red zone type thing, be like, let's cut over to Jack Adams, who's with that group right now. What's Luke List looking at live right now? Here's what he's looking at. Yeah, I mean, golf red zone is what we all want, right? Like yeah. that, that is, that is what we want. We want on, we want from, you know, 10 a.m. on Friday to whenever, whenever guys are done playing to see every important shot. Slash, that, that's what we want. Slash 7 a.m. on Friday. But I think it works two ways. I think you have a red zone type channel hosted by Pat Mayo where I kind of cut it. Like I'm following along with everything that's going on and we can cut to everything. And I'm getting like the shot tracker live information to me. I can see where the shots go. We can cut into this person on this hole. And I can tell you that. Or you have the opportunity for like MLB TV where you can create a four box or an eight box. And you can just highlight the golfers that you want to watch with no commentary. It's just like, here, here they are. Here's what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, that, that is the literal dream, right? Like that, like that is the, like, like what they did at the masters last year. Right. But on, but for every tournament that, that is what, that is what we want. And live because that was not live. That was, you go into the yeah, app not- and see the shots. 30 seconds after they happen, which is getting close, but it's not quite there. Yeah. And then you, you have that live. And um, I mean, do you think in, so in this streaming service, do you have the ability to like, okay, I want to go watch, I want to go watch all of the now shots today. Cause I have him uh, and I need him for a six of six or whatever. And so I, I just want to watch every shot that Finau makes is like, is that, is that in your vision? Yeah. I think that as soon as I, that would probably have to be after the round is over or maybe at nine that you get a super cut of every shot that someone hits. If you want to archive it and go back and look. Well, I mean, so let, let's fast forward a year and we get, we get past COVID and there are no restrictions in terms of how many people we can have on the course and everything. Like why can't we have a cameraman with every group? I think it's the cost and the logistics of all of that. Like I, I don't see why we can't, but yeah, it's just too much money. There there are reasons, and I think that, I mean, just even the actual, like, to get real cameramen to do it, like, cameramen make a lot of money. People may not know that. I know a few cameramen. Yeah. And they Yeah, they they're print. not, they, they don't work, they don't work for free. No, and they're traveling around, like, like, CBS has its own team, that you would have to find a lower cost way to do it. That's why I think that the audio barrier to entry is just a very easy way to see if people are actually interested. So the PGA puts out a product. Maybe it's C, maybe it's NBC. I don't know. Let's just say it's the PGA, and they have this partnership with DraftKings, and they tailor this audio. One guy per group goes around following, giving you live updates of everything. You sell that subscription that you can probably stream through the DraftKings app as well because they're partners. That you can just like on your DraftKings line be like, hey, follow this guy around live, and you can hit a button and it streams through your app through whatever service that they have. But on the PGA side, if you wanted to do that, you could also bake in affiliate stuff for the PGA Tour to go back through to DraftKings, so they can make money on it that way, and people are still paying for the product as a subscription fee per tournament, per month, per year, whatever you want to do. Like you could just constantly be selling on that, and you know that the people who are actually seeking out this product are people that spend money on the internet. That is true. Yeah. The, the money funnel is the money funnel is big, right? Because they're, they're not, they don't want to, they don't want to go through all this work, develop all this streaming for people who they can't monetize. No, but the people that they would be developing for are the people who spend the most money on the internet, like frivolously too. Like they are, yeah. they're the, they're like Lindsay Nagle from the Simpsons. Oh, what's in my purse? Oh, disposable income. <laughs> yeah. 
That's uh that the Simpsons. That's interesting. I'm I'm trying to get Bill Oakley on the show. I've I've reached out to his, uh his his personal assistant who who books his stuff for him. I I, I really want them. But, uh we are we are getting to a a part in our our future with the Simpsons, Pat, where, uh we either it it will be done airing or they they might start about thinking replacing the voice actors. All of the voice actors are just the problematic ones. Yeah, like uh, like Henry Shearer hates doing the show and and just calls in and does all his stuff. But you know, Disney owns Disney owns it now, and um, just like a an overall change in the means of production for that show, I think probably is uh, is in order. Well, how old is Harry Shearer? He was old when they filmed Spinal Tap in like 1984. Harry Shearer, 76. Yeah, yeah, he is. Like Dan Castellaneta is probably like guy. The, the youngest one, or actually Hank Azaria is probably the youngest one. Yeah, Dan and Nancy are both 62. Julie Kavner is 69. Hank, Hank Azaria, Azaria, 56. Yeah, so, but I mean, and, and but I mean, it's it's certainly to the point of where uh, if they decide that that Disney decides, you know, it's it's worth uh, the the money to keep producing it that they are going to start thinking about contingency plans in terms of replacing the voice actors i mean it's not like the people who grew up with the show like me even care yeah i I just i don't give a shit so as long as it they don't think it hurts the bottom line of like disenfranchising the new viewers that they have then they should have done this 20 years ago when everyone who was the original generation of simpsons fans stopped caring about the simpsons because these guys print money. The voice actors. I, I, I still watch the show. I, I still, what? I just like. It is Simpsons. Is you know everyone has their comfort food, right? And like the Simpsons is just like that's my thing. Like I just, I even even the new episodes that are not as good or or I. You know, I, I hate to trash on things that people really like making, but it's it's not the it certainly is not the same. And, uh, but yeah, I, I still, I still watch it. I, I don't have, I mean, I, I'm not someone who has an overflow of disposable income, but I'm especially someone who doesn't have an overflow of disposable time anymore. Disposable time. And and investing it into Simpsons episodes, I don't think are funny is probably not a good use of that time. Oh, I, I just, I just remembered another thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Hit me. This, um, this would have been the time if soccer was ever going to become, a capital T thing in the States, this would have been the time where there was literally nothing else on TV. I brought this up to right when the pandemic started that it was like the last show. I think we did in studio before I had to stop having like Jeff in and Cody in, and we had to start doing everything by phone. I talked to Jeff and Tim about like Bundesliga just started back up. I was like, if there's ever a moment for European soccer to like hit the big time, because the, the quality of this soccer should be miles ahead of MLS that I get it's not American, but it's higher level and Americans tend to like the highest level of things. I always feel like that's why the MLS isn't really a thing is because it's the 20th. Yeah, it's so bad. It's like the eighth best league in the world, but the German league is probably what, like the fourth best league in the world. Like there's real, there's real yeah. dudes in the Bundesliga that it Correct. just, it just didn't happen. Now, is that because of the broadcast like it wasn't available to watch in most places it wasn't promoted or is it turns out that americans just don't give a shit about soccer unless it's team america playing yeah i mean i i think you i think you you gotta just say that uh 
that people who live in the United States just don't care. It's no different than hockey. They're, they're, if you live in Detroit yeah, yeah. or if you live like, I don't know, in any state that basically borders Canada, you probably might care. If you live in Illinois, you might care. But it's not widespread. Like, it's just not going to be an entire nation thing that catches on where football is and baseball is and basketball is. Like, those are huge everywhere. The NFL obviously being the most, but like hockey is a regional sport. It seems like soccer is a regional sport as well. Yeah, it just it'll it will never happen. Unless I I guess the last bastion would be you know the MLS becoming the the Premier League, right? Where every team is worth billions of dollars. The best players in the in the world all play here, and you know that is a, a hundred years away from ever being like rational well there's uh, there's one other path to it or two should i say and they probably coincide with each other it would be that america produces one of the three best players like a Messi, in the world yes like yes they, they need a, like like tiger reinvigorated golf by being the best at golf like ever it was jack and then golf kind of went away for a bit then tiger came and was like oh here's tiger woods and he is golf and he 30 years later still is golf <laughs> which is kind of problematic for golf, but soccer needs like that injection of someone to come in and be really awesome on Liverpool or Man U or Real Madrid, whoever it might be, and be compared to uh, a Ronaldo or a Messi or whoever it is, like be in that league of guys. And then he in turn needs to make Team USA really good and not just like, oh, they might advance to the knockout the, stage. The, the, the United States, the United States winning the World Cup with guys who play in the states and and this this messianic figure that that's that would be the other angle so like let's say christian pulisic who is the best american player he plays for you know one of the four best teams in england he takes 19 next steps and he becomes this you know he scores an absurd amount of goals he's amazing he uh, is on TV all the time, you know, all, so on, so on and so forth. And the United States wins the 2022 World Cup like that, that, that can make it happen. Yeah. And that's what a 0% chance of happening. United States men's like the, the, the way the U S men's soccer team is set up. It's a, it's a total nightmare. And this actually, if we, if we wanted to bring it back full circle, this again comes back to the ways in which, uh americans care more about about capitalism than the greater good because uh american soccer for for youth kids is very much like pay to play in a way that it is not in in the other country so our our best athletes a lot of times just never even start playing organized soccer it's it's a lot like in canada like all our best athletes play hockey play hockey yeah and like that's it that's the reason that canada is good at hockey they all play the same sport Yeah, but it's also but it's also the reason like and it completely coincides basically with Vince Carter is that once Vince Carter won the dunk contest 10 years later, all of a sudden Canada had like good basketball players all of a sudden, not on the level of like the United States, but versus what we had before was way different. Like we have guys every year. (laughs) Yeah, it's literally it's literally the same thing. They're they're just what what I don't even know what I would tell a kid who wanted to become uh, a great soccer player in the United States right now, I'd be like, well, uh, you're never going to win a world cup because we we're we're a mess and uh, it's going to be very hard for you to make a ton of money. It's going to be very hard for you to get, you know, elite level coaching. Like it just, it, it, it's the, 
the obstacles seem seem to they seem impassable. And there does become a thing as well that one of the reasons that golf really succeeded under Tiger was when Tiger won the Masters, Tiger winning the Masters leads PTI. Or if Tiger breaks a record, it's the first thing on SportsCenter. Yeah. There's never been anything like that for American soccer. Like, there hasn't been a guy, oh, he scored six goals and, like, broke whatever, whatever. Like, we're leading talking about this. No, we're going to tie, like... Opening segment on Sports Center is going to be Adam Schefter updating you on like the players' union for the NFL. Like you need that transcendent person to become the story to give the sport more exposure. You see it during the Women's World Cup for the USA Soccer, but you only see it during Women's World Cup. And women's soccer isn't a thing outside of the World Cup going on. Like it doesn't. At least yeah, we. It doesn't seem to be. At yeah, least. we. Yeah, I mean the there are. So there is actually in. Europe, there is a big women's soccer league that gets, you know, multi-millions of dollars thrown at it. And that does get coverage on like, I, you know, I listen to soccer podcasts and that are, you know, mostly focused around the men's game, but they do talk about the women's game because it is like a real thing over there. But yeah, just that it's not the, the NWSL, which is the American uh, women's soccer league is, uh, not well-funded, not, not a, not a big draw. And it doesn't get the exposure of leading certain things. It's like, if I don't know, Justin Thomas wins the PGA championship, there's a chance that that is not the lead on sports center. If Tiger Woods wins, it is. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And we just, we don't, we, we, there, there have been a lot of guys who have been, supposed to be that guy but then it never it never happens it, it's the same way in tennis like serena and venus are one thing they can lead by winning wimbledon there's just no good american tennis players anymore like who was the last good american tennis player andy roddick who was very clearly the bottom rung of the good players uh like when i was and i follow tennis i follow tennis a little bit more closely than uh, like the average person, but I, I even I don't have a great answer to that question. Like, like in my like, I don't follow tennis all that closely, but like I remember growing up, like when I thought American players, like you had Agassi and you had Sampras. Like Michael Chang was also really good, and he would always like be lingering in Grand Slams. But for the past fucking twenty years, it's been Federer, it's been Nadal, it's been Djokovic. Andy Murray made a little run for a bit. Like Roddick won a U.S. Open. That was it. And then there's like, right, like Marat Safin would come out of nowhere and win every now and then, but it's literally been the same three people for like a decade. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy who is the best American tennis player and has been for the Isner? last few years right now, it's, it's Isner. Yeah. And he, um, he has no grand slam wins. No, he's just a real tall dude who serves real hard. Isn't he? John Isner follows me on Twitter. Sweet. Shout out John Isner. He's a lot like a uh, Canada has Milos Raonic, who is like this I think he's like the exact same as John Isner. They're like Gordon. Even yeah, I, 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 I like I, I like Milos. He's he's one of my, he's. I like to watch him play. Why? If you get him moving from like left to right, he's like a statue. He's like the Drew Bloodsoe of tennis players. Well, in and daily fantasy tennis, like uh, the way you win. Yeah, yeah. You need you need the aces and and Raonic and Isner are super super good at those. Oh yeah, they're they're all serve and that's the entire game. But like it's just so it's such a contrasting thing. Like especially at Wimbledon or even at, at, let's just say the French Open when you're on clay and everything is just so slow to watch an athlete like Nadal who's even past his prime now 
like out athletic these young guys just because they're statues it's, it's like you're watching two different sports uh yeah yeah i mean it, it really like their their uh philosophical approach to the game like it seems like they're playing a different activity yeah and like the athleticism that nadal has just the speed that he has like the power in his wrist that he has is just like this guy's like a different human <laughs> uh he's yeah, old now. yeah like, nadal Nadal's an old man now in terms of tennis so like that's always I always like to think of this with athletes of like if they, okay so if they didn't play this sport could they be a pro in another sport and like Nadal probably could have been some yeah. like he you know he could have been a point guard he could have played soccer probably you know yeah he's tall too I think he's like six one six two yeah but he's whereas like, like and, wow he's a year and you're like he's a year younger than me he seems like and he's, he's old around. yeah and he's old how's that make you feel not bad. But, like, how is Federer still a thing? Like, how is he still good? <laughs> you know, uh, I just, I guess, well, he hasn't really played. Federer hasn't really played because he's been hurt. But, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't have a good answer for that like, on how Federer is still good. How old is Federer? Federer's 38. Thir- 38. And yeah. he last won a Grand Slam win, like, last year? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not played since, let's, let's find the last time he won a Grand Slam. Uh, the last time he won a Grand Slam was in yeah he won the Australian Open in 2018 so two years ago. That's but he, he he had won he won Wimbledon in 2017 as well. And he won the Australian Open in 2017 as well. Yeah, so that's that that sort of longevity is, I uh, uh, I mean it's unheard of in tennis. Basically, tennis is really a young man's and or woman's game. Yeah, it just seems to me that people just stop playing. The, the only logical conclusion behind this is that at a certain point people almost across the world stop playing tennis. Well, you just, you just can't, you can't move the way you need to once you get past a certain age, basically. No, no, but before like you would have guys that were 28 and they were washed up. Like, yes, Federer is probably the best player ever. Nadal is probably up there. Djokovic is probably up there as well. But the fact that they're able to sustain their careers a decade longer than everyone else leads me to believe that that decade behind them is that all the best athletes stop playing tennis wherever they're from uh i mean maybe could be like what america like no good american athlete plays tennis like not like the cream of the crop like they yeah like it's like baseball like they're playing basketball or they're playing football yeah like what uh like like where you i guess to be a you'd have to be a really good athlete whose parents really likes tennis like that would that would that would have to be how really good american tennis players come about where like your parents are like yes you're good at basketball yes you're good at football but we really want you to play tennis yeah unless you're joakim noah where your dad is one of the best tennis players of his era and you're just like yeah play basketball instead (laughs) yeah like i'd rather yeah which is why yeah that that athlete families are are always super fascinating to me like how you like fathers and sons or brothers who end up being athletic like these 0.001% outcomes who all come from the same genetic tree well I'm curious to see Agassi and Steffi Graf's kid like that's got to be a great tennis player in the making yes but they'll play like has to be but they'll be like an F1 driver or something (laughs) you ever watch F1 Uh, it's on really early in the morning so sometimes I watch it more when I was a kid rather than like the past 10 years when Jacques Villeneuve used to win an F1, he was Canadian. So I used to watch that. I, I like to see like that. That's the big difference between me and F1 and like NASCAR and IndyCar. The scenery in F1 can be like worth watching. 
Like when they race in Monaco, it's like, ooh, Monaco. <laughs> yeah, uh, I play. I re- one of the video games I played a lot growing up was Gran Turismo, where they they have a lot of those a lot of those F one tracks, and I think I remembered watching a couple times when I was a kid just because I liked the video game and I just got too bored. I just can't get like there are certain things that are for certain people. Like I know a lot of people who like, hey Pat, I like the show. I can't listen to golf because golf is the most boring thing on earth. I can't really dispute that if that's how you feel, but that's how I feel about racing. Like I just I, I try I've tried to get into it. I've tried to give it a chance. It's a lot like soccer for me. I've tried to give it a chance. It's just not for me. Yes, yeah, there are there are many things that people like that are not for me. And that's, uh, I also, you know, I also definitely, I don't like to be one of those people of telling people like, oh, you, you have to, you have to like, you have to like what I like, you know? No, I like a lot of stuff that people just fucking hate, but that's, that's fine. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, but I, I think when I was younger, I would have been like, you know, you do need to like what I like because what I like is the best. Yeah, I mean, for content-wise, that should be, the, like, the attitude that you have, I think. Like, when I'm doing the golf yeah, I mean, show, yeah, it's you're, like, yeah, yeah golf's if you're the doing best. content, yeah, it's your job to sell what you're selling. Yeah, exactly. All right, I, that's all I got. You got anything else? Uh, No, I mean, I think that's, uh, well, okay, actually, okay, yeah, one last thing. What do you think the long-term you know, we're looking back at this in 2025. What do you think the the impact of COVID-19 is going to be on the world of professional sports? You know, less people interested, more people interested, less people playing fantasy sports, more people play, like, what, what, what do you, like, more money coming in, less money coming in. What do you see as being the long-term impacts? On sports, I don't see there being an impact at all. Like, if, if a vaccine happens and, like, COVID is gone in five years, which God yeah. hope that happens uh and we're back to like normal or at least what we consider to be normal what it was before the pandemic started that things will just continue like fewer people will watch because that's the trajectory of sports as it is anyway um people are just finding niche audiences and things uh, fewer people are watching tv but interest in the nfl will remain up um probably right around the level where it was it will make tons of money i don't see any i don't see a fundamental difference really coming out of this than before this um except people are just more polarized than before because people no matter who you are you just kind of want things to go back to what the way that they were before and people will just accept that once it happens uh yeah i mean i think that the leagues will probably have a little bit less money and that that just probably ends up being what what goes on that's kind of what it sounds like to me yeah but they'll make that money back somehow there's always new revenue streams to be found this stuff isn't maxed out by any means i just gave the pga tour like a 30 million dollar (laughs) idea you did you did yeah i don't know i'm very i i'm all i'm very curious and i guess this doesn't this doesn't apply as much but like uh like the whole structure of the way european soccer works is is gonna have to change because a ton of clubs are going bankrupt and it's going to be a real uh rich get richer scenario well that's over there that well it's a very similar situation to a lot of minor league sports in america yeah yeah uh like how does the minor league baseball system exist when it doesn't broadcast for or you know doesn't take place for basically you know a two-year gap you know with with no games being played this year like i can't even imagine 
Yeah, I guess the other impact on sports, too, is we found out what sports have the ability to hit bigger or sustain themselves and which ones just are never going to catch on. I mean, yeah, we did. We did learn that if I was if I was in charge of uh, making people care about soccer in the United States, I would be I'd be real disgusted with what happened. I'd be like, well, I don't know how I'm supposed to do my job now. I feel like esports had a had a moment to seize itself and it didn't. Like it just never got like it's it, obviously esports is huge. It makes a ton of money and around worldwide, very popular. But in terms of becoming like a mainstream sport that how, what would you say that the average percentage wise of viewers of esports, if I set the age at 30, what are the, what's percentage? Oh, way, way under. Yeah. But like, what's the actual like percentage? Like 98% is sub 30. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say like 90% is sub 21. Okay. So maybe that has the ability to come along like the next wave. Once people are familiar with that, but if they had ever wanted a shot to catch on with, older like and when i say older people i mean like me who's 35 it's just that's never yeah. it's never gonna happen no no they they should not care about your demographic at all basically yeah just never gear anything towards me which means it'll never be on tv because by the time that the 21 year olds are 35 i there might be like four channels left or, or there'll be like nine hundred thousand channels well there are nine hundred thousand channels there's so much there's so, like I I have cable and I watch like four channels ever. I have which ca- is funny. Yeah, it's funny. I I also kind of do the same thing. My wife and I like rotate between like five channels on cable. Yet we pay for like every channel because like there might be a show on a channel once every three months that like we were scrolling through like oh I'd watch that. <laughs> well, and it's also nice that if you have cable like you just have access to like other streaming services when you go to lo- use your cable login. So I, I found that to be nice. It is. I, I like the a la carte stuff. I don't know if you guys have that in the States, but like I can kind of pick the channels that I want, like on demand. Like, uh, they two, they two, do like, here's they two do like packages. Yeah, like we have packages, but we also developed a thing where it's like, hey, for, you know, for three bucks a month, you can pick a channel for three bucks and you don't need to subscribe to a package. You can pick these like 20 channels for three bucks a month each uh yeah we do we do uh we do not have that or you can buy the package which might have it in it and the package will be cheaper but you need to buy like eight packages to get all the channels that you actually wanted i mean that uh i would like so like for example i i paid the extra money to get the golf channel in the like this you know the third up package or whatever but it was literally, I only wanted the golf channel and I pay like an extra $10 a month for that. I, you know, I'd much rather just pay two bucks or whatever for the golf channel. Yeah. So I, I think I pay three fifty a month for golf channel, but I only get like out of the golf channel package. I get that. I pay three fifty for that and three bucks for NFL network just to make sure that I have those, but I don't have like NBA TV because I don't watch NBA TV. Yeah. That sounds like, that sounds kind of like the, the wave of the, of the future, but we do not. Well, I mean, maybe some places in the States have it, but we do not have it here bummer bummer well there we go everyone should subscribe show. everyone should subscribe to the take cast with davis maddock and the pat mayo experience with pat mayo rating these shows don't even need to leave a review just scroll down tap five Just a little rate takes like yeah. three seconds i i uh every every a couple weeks ago no probably a couple months ago now i i went through and left a rating and review for every show i subscribed to because i was like 
I host a podcast. I ask people to do this all the time. It's it's literally the least I can do. I, I did that too. Not like I did it years ago, but every time I subscribe to a new podcast, I try to give myself a week. Do I like it? Do I not like it? If I do, I go and immediately do that. Because yeah, I know how valuable that is. The Pat Mayo Experience worldwide about to cross 4,000 ratings, which is nice. Worldwide. There we go. Very proud of you, Pat. Thank you very much. Thank Crusher. you. Thank you all for listening out there, by the way. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good show. Good talking to you. All right, man. It was nice to catch up. Yeah, good good chatting to you, Pat. I uh, hope we get a chance to uh, to do more Corona casting soon or or maybe just regular casting, regular chatting as, uh, as the coronavirus recedes to be a memory. Yeah, true. All right, man. Stay safe. Stay safe. Take it easy. Experience! Experience!